It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reeson. Welcome to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Today's show is all about the great resignation. Why should I care? So now here we are in the United States, it's Labor Day today, which is such an appropriate day to be talking about the great resignation. And the great resignation, let's define that. It's a period of time where what we're seeing is that in in labor pools, we're seeing a lot of shifting going on in where people are choosing to work. And it's got a lot of people anxious, excited, worried, all these different things that we could use, words that we could use to describe what's really happening. And let's define what's this great resignation. Here's a statistic, and I could quote lots of different places because I found tons of different statistics. And and basically what we're seeing is that anywhere between 40 and 50% of our labor pool, which means the people that are working, would shift jobs in the next year. So I I asked a friend of mine who was running a uh, retirement facility. So this is a pretty large retirement facility. And I said, what would happen if 50% of your labor force left right now? Doesn't mean you can't get another 50% in, but 50% left right now. And he says, well, that's easy. So what would you do? He says, we'd shut down. And this is a retirement home with, it's got anywhere up to skilled care. So independent living to skilled care. We'd shut down. They serve 244 residents, which means that these residents would now all of a sudden be out on their own. These people that that have homes. So it's just a really big concern. And now I want to divide this even more from a segment of of what we're looking at here and say, we've got the great resignation. We can refer to that as knowledge workers. So our professional staff, that's that's people that use their minds to work and be your accountants, advertising, finance, insurance, so, so that industries. And then we've got the industrial sector. Now, the industrial sector, yes, is this an, it's an issue in all areas, but the industrial sector has been feeling this pain for a really long time. Knowledge workers in this industry, these, this segment, we're just starting to feel the pain. But in the industrial sector, we've been feeling the pain for so long. Way back in 2012, so a few years ago, I was pregnant with my third child, and I'm sitting at this table, like very pregnant. He was born October 25th. This meeting happened in September. And we have the, the I live in the state of Iowa here in the United States. And we were sitting around a table with the heads of all of the, col- the community colleges in Iowa. There's 21 community colleges. Uh, they're, they're all at the table. We've got the heads of some of our biggest business, our manufacturers, because we're a heavy ag, finance, and manufacturing state. So we have he- our our manufacturers are sitting in there. And then we've got that we've got the education sector, the business sector, and then we've got the nonprofit sector. So this association that I was working in tandem with. Now I ran a strategic marketing firm at the time and the problem that was set in front of us, so this is 2012 and they said by 2021. So by now, because we're in 2021 now, by 2021 they we will have such an a shortage of workers that we will not be able to fill our lines. And so they saw this problem way back in 2012. And so we've got to solve this problem. And we're looking at it 
like nine years from now, 10 years from now, how do we solve this problem so that we can still continue to operate? And what we did then created was this initiative where we could actually solve this problem long-term. We went into schools, we really understood what the problem was. And when you think about, in this case, manufacturing, people thought of that as a dirty job, an unsafe job, didn't pay well. And we got to change the stigma because that's how it was, but it isn't how it is. You go into advanced manufacturing, you look at an advanced manufacturing company, this is a clean environment, this is a safe environment, this is a highly technical environment with lots of roles for different people. So you don't have to have a four-year degree, you could have a certificate, you could have a technical degree. There's lots of different qualifications or certifications that you can really own and, and do well in these roles, but people didn't know that. And so it became this awareness campaign and then working with students long-term so that they would start to consider these careers when they were in middle school and high school, and then they could start into these roles. So we worked for the parents and the kids, but the whole point is that this the industrial segment, they've been feeling this pain for a really long time. So yes, does that segment, do they have now hiring signs out? Absolutely. Are they hurting for employees? Absolutely. Were they hurting for employees before COVID? Absolutely. They have felt the pain for so long. In fact, I have a client right now who says my, their second biggest client, so their second biggest client is saying, I will give you a $1.5 million check right now for my business. I want to add $1.5 million of business. And that client is saying, gosh, I wish I could accept that check, but I can't serve the current client load that I have because I am down seven people on my front line. And until I solve that problem, I can't accept this $1.5 million check to do more business. So it's not a marketing problem. It's not a sales problem. It's an operational, it's, it's, an, it's a human problem. And what, what my client, what we, we talked about was, oh my gosh, like this is not they're, they're doing the equivalent of putting the now hiring sign out and saying, hey, we're, we're hiring, come see us. Now, if you go to last week's show, we talk about that concept and why that doesn't work and, and what else you can do. But think about that's where we've been. So the industrial segment, they're saying, yep, the great resignation's been here. We just called it something different and we've been addressing it for a while. Hey, knowledge workers, welcome to the party. That's what's happened. And so now we've got this knowledge worker segment that all of a sudden we're looking at these rates, but if we peel that back, we get to say what is really happening and what is driving this great resignation? Because oftentimes the problem isn't really the problem that we see it. I have a mentor, she says, the problem is how you see the problem. Lisa Kalman, wonderful lady, look her up. She's a phenomenal coach, strategist, transformational leader. And when I did some transformational workout in California, I met her and she says, the problem is not how you see the problem. And it really got me thinking, what wise words? Because oftentimes when we see a problem, we think we're gonna solve that problem. We solve it, but the pain doesn't go away. I wonder, well, why I solved the problem? Why is the pain going away? And it's because the problem as we define it, isn't actually the problem. The problem is much deeper. And so part of making decisions quickly and, and moving through this process, something that I teach my executive clients is that we had to dig in and really understand is the problem what we think it is or is there actually another problem? And so that was what I believe is happening with this great resignation. We think the problem is that people are leaving. What I hear when I walk around, I talk to executives and I say, what's the problem? And they say, people don't wanna work. They just don't wanna work. 
Some, that's true. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. And what I know to be true is they don't want to work for you. They don't want to work for you. Doesn't mean they don't want to work for anybody else. <laughs> we don't know that part. I don't know the answer to that yet. But what I do know is they don't want to work for you. So whatever you're offering, however you're presenting it, isn't enticing enough for them to want to work for you. And let me give you some examples of what this looks like. So I have a friend. She is a, in an executive role at a bank. And when COVID hit, their frontline workers, their, their tellers, anybody in the bank, kept coming. The bank's got to still be operational. And I'm talking like the consumer facing. So the people where, where we would consume that actually adjusted our cash, they had to work at the front line at the bank because the bank still got to be operational. But pretty much everyone else went home. Now, this same bank right before COVID did a study to say how many of our people could reasonably work from home on a limited basis, not every day, but could reasonably and what they came back with was 20% of their employees could reasonably work from home. Then, not even a week later from releasing that study, COVID happens and they send everybody but their frontline workers home and they make it work because they didn't have a choice. So the problem with it thought was the problem wasn't actually the problem. They redefined the problem and realized that they were holding themselves back by saying that people had to work from home. Well, some of their employees loved this. They loved the flexibility. They loved how they didn't have the commute to work. This particular business is located in a metro where it's very busy and hard to get parking. They park at a parking ramp, which costs a lot more money. And then they have to get into the locations. There's a lot of different challenges that come with it. And so you strip that away. And now your employees, have, they have more time to just work, be with their families, create the life that they want. And when everything else is stripped away, you can't spend your money on much because you know, nothing else. There's not shops that you can go to to spend your money on. You can pretty much during the, the pandemic, where did we spend our money? We spent it on necessities, food, something I could order online, but maybe it would come. So we didn't order it not online. I mean, some did, but really, where did you spend your money during the pandemic? Think about that. We stripped away all that extra stuff. Kids activities were canceled. Lots of meetings were canceled or they went online. So we spent a ton of our time in front of computers. And while I'm a highly social person, but like my husband, for example, is not, he enjoys social engagement, but he doesn't require that much. And when he went on Zoom and moved to Zoom all the time, he found that he missed social engagement. So he realized that that was what was important. So you've got now these employees at this bank realizing what's really important to them. And then when we get far enough into the pandemic where we say, okay, we're going to bring people back. Now we've got all these return to work plans happening. A lot of them have been implemented. In this case with the bank, it was implemented in June. And what happened was they brought these employees back and they said, everyone will come back in the office, mandatory back in the office. And then from there, we'll decide who's going to stay and who's going to go. And, and not meaning we're going to fire them, meaning who's going to stay in the office and who gets more of a hybrid situation, who even wants that. But instead of having that conversation before they came back, they said, we're just going to bring everybody back in. We're going to settle, take a deep breath, and then we'll have that conversation. So in theory, from a strategy perspective, that makes sense. But did it, did it work? There were a lot of employees that were really challenged with that and saying, you know, I've really enjoyed not having this commute. I don't want to go back to working all the time. I don't want to go back 
to this experience that I had before. I don't want to go back to kids' activities five times a night. I don't want to go back to this and this and this. And so I don't want to go back into the office so that you can figure out, you being the employer, you can figure out whether or not I can stay home. And when the bank next door in the same town is calling me up or, or this is happening too, now I can work for a bank anywhere in the world because, hey, they all realize that it didn't matter where I was. When the bank down the street or in another part of the world is calling me up and saying, hey, you want to come work for me? You can work from home. That's cool. Or you can come in twice a week or you can come in once a month or whatever that situation is that aligns with what I really want. I'm answering the call and I'm saying, would I would I take a pay cut for that? What I what's really important? And here's the piece what I'm going to share right now. I was listening to a podcast the other day and this guy was this guy, his name is Jim Allen. He's out over in the UK and he says, it's not about the kombucha, not about the kombucha. So some companies said, well, we're going to just put these fancy drink machines or these refrigerated, refrigerated drinks in our break rooms and the employees are going to want to come back because guess what? Now we've got these machines and this is so fancy and we've got these drinks and yay, they're going to want to come back. No, that's not what they want. Our lives changed dramatically during COVID, which meant as employers, it was our responsibility to shift dramatically to, to support our employees. And for those employers that chose to do that, the great resignation is not as big of a deal for them. But for those employees that do, that, they're, that, didn't, that didn't choose that, that are saying, they're saying, I'm just going to bring everybody back exactly as it was, and then I'll decide, and then I'll go forward. I'm going to get my bearings before I support my employees and meet them where they are. The employees are saying, yeah, you know, I don't think so. Thanks. It's been great, but I'm, I'm done. I'm out. And that is the great resignation right there. So the problem isn't our employees are choosing to leave or do people want to work. I believe the problem lies in how we are reflective of how our employees are choosing to work these days. And we're calling people lazy. Like we can really be in judgment about the employees that don't want to come into work or the employees that do want to come into work. We are truly divided on how we work. And that's, we're going to dig deeper on this topic, but we're going to go on a quick break. And there's so much here in the great resignation to talk about. So enjoy this quick break. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. When we get back, there's even more. Enjoy. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. 
Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. And today we've been talking about the great resignation. Why should we care or should we care? And in the earlier part of the show, we talked about really the difference between the industrial segment and the knowledge workers. The industrial sector, they have been having this problem for years. The great resignation has been hitting them forever. And it's not that people were leaving. They just can't find enough people. And again, I'll talk about here in the United States, we have an infrastructure bill that's huge that that when passed, and it looks like it's going to pass through through uh, all the government, that will flood, literally flood the, the market with dollars to create. And yet our, our construction, our industrial segment, they just don't have enough workers to solve the problem. And what this gets down to is what I believe is, is going to happen is that a lot of our knowledge workers that are used to going into an office and working in a certain way with their minds, a lot of them are, are really seeing that I miss working with my hands. I've been told, for me, I'll use, I'll use me as an example. When I grew up, uh, it was which four-year college are you going to go to? Wasn't, wasn't what would you like to create? What do you want to be? It was which four-year college you want to go to. Now, that was my path and it made sense. But for a lot of my peers, that is not that was not their path. But because that was the common thread, we just we, we go, to, go to high school and then we go to a four-year college. A lot of them went into a four-year college and got a degree in something that really didn't matter to them. And then they went and got jobs that were reflective of what their degree was, but they didn't really care about that job. And so then they ended up in this place of, oh my gosh, I've got either college debt or I feel like I've got to be in this role, but this is not who I am. And so now we have COVID happen and we've got people really connecting, giving themselves space because gosh, we had plenty of space, <laughs> giving themselves time to just think about what it is that they really, really want. And when they answer that question, it may not be sitting in an office for 40, 50, 60, 70, yes, I see some of you, 80 hours a week. They just don't want that anymore. And they're saying, well, what else can I do? I love being outside. I want to work with my hands. And so I actually see a shift happening into the trades. So if we hold on long enough, hey, my industrial sector executives, I think the people are coming to you. There's such an opening right now to go to these people that are working these very corporate knowledge worker jobs and pull them into your industry. It's, it's such a potential, which is you know really a beautiful thing for our industrial workers because they're coming, they're coming. People are saying, oh my gosh, you know what? I could make the same money or maybe even a little bit less. That's fine. I'm working half the time. I have half the paycheck. That's fine. Would I do it for something that I enjoy? And before we might say no, but now we're at a point where we say yes. So there was a, there was something that I wrote about in, uh, in my book, it's Joy and Uncertainty, A Guide to Creating a Meaningful Life. You can get it on Amazon. But I wrote this in my book. Uh, this was released last June. So this is over a year old. And, and before I read to you what I wrote, uh, my producer, Kim, she sent me an article this morning. And I thought it was just, it was great because it really, for a lot of reasons, but it referenced the book, Henry Thoreau's book, Walden. So if you guys have read it, I actually haven't read the book, but I've read the premise of it and I've heard about it. So I get to read it. But the premise of it was talking about what's the minimalist level that we can live? Think about the minute, the cost to live the most minimal that you could. 
So if you scraped away cars, you could because you could walk everywhere. You could live in a place where your community was so tight that you wouldn't actually need a car. That and so we really get down to minimalist living. What do you actually require? And what what he said in in Walden is that based on that minimalist level, anything above that is excess. It's just stress that we put on ourselves that we're choosing to, but we don't look at it that way. And so so I'm gonna read to you what I wrote a year ago in my book, Joy and Uncertainty, A Guide to Creating a Meaningful Life. And it says, according to the National Association of Home Builders, the average size of a new house in 1950 was 983 square feet. Today, the average new house is 2,600 square feet. We like our personal space. Yet, has our level of joy risen equally? According to the World Health Organization, as of 2018, Depression is the leading cause of disability, affecting over 3 million people in the world. The Center for Disease Control reported that in the United States in 2014, 9.1% of adults were depressed. So the answer is simple. Our houses and our possessions have increased, but our actual level of joy has decreased. Things aren't buying our happiness. Doing isn't buying our happiness. And instead of buying a bigger house, thinking it will make us happy, why don't we commit to something else? So that's an excerpt of what I wrote in Joy and Uncertainty, A Guide to Creating a Meaningful Life. It's on page 18. And it really gets to the question of why we're spending so much time focused on things that maybe aren't in alignment with us. And maybe they are, but are you asking yourself this question of what's really important? There was a post I made on Facebook this week, and it was one that was I started out asking a, a really important question. And it said, if you knew that for six weeks out of every year of your life, you were gonna feel the sickest you've ever felt. Like, like you weren't sure if you were gonna live or die. And, it, 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 and each time that happened, the beginning of that week, it was questionable. You weren't sure if you were gonna live or die. You had to go to the hospital to heal. And every time you made a commitment, you weren't sure if it would be one of those six weeks. Those six weeks aren't concurrent, but you weren't sure if it was going to be that six week. So it was really hard to plan. You had to decide, are you willing to commit, even though you might have to come back and renegotiate that and just bail on people? Would you still commit? So I asked the question and I gave three different options. Number one was A, would you live your life fully in the moment, living in the now, knowing that you're going to make commitments that You're not going to be able to honor, but you're going to live for the moment. The option B was that you play halfway. Nobody's going to blame you. You don't make as many commitments because you're scared that you're going to not be able to honor it. So you just don't make the commitment. You don't really follow your dream. You play comfortable. And in those six weeks, you let yourself heal. But you just kind of exist. And option C Option C is that you go off to a deserted island, you ignore those six weeks, you don't go to the hospital, and you know that your time here on earth is dramatically cut because you're not actually healing yourself. So you go off to the deserted island and you live out your days, knowing that your days could be much longer if you chose to be here in the now and present, but you're okay with that. So you go to the deserted island, you enjoy the sunset, the water, and you live out your remaining amount of your life. Which would you choose? Think about that. I'll give you a second. 
A, B, or C? The reason that I asked that question, and the reason this is a question I've asked myself so many times in my life, but I didn't just ask myself that. It didn't just come to me one night. I wasn't in the shower is where I have my best thoughts. I wasn't in the shower and I just thought, hmm, I wonder, would it be A, B, or C? That's such an interesting question. That is not how this question came into my life. The reason that this question is so prevalent in my life is because when I was 10 years old, so nearly 30 years ago, I'm, I'm 39 years old now, almost 30 years ago, my dad was diagnosed with colon cancer. I talk about it in the book as well, Joy and Uncertainty, a Joy in Uncertainty, a Guide to Creating a Meaningful Life. I talk about when I, when I found out that he had colon cancer and, and he survived. He was given a, a very small percentage that he would survive in five years. Part of his treatment protocol was chemotherapy and radiation. And radiation is a lot different now than it was then. Still brutal. But radiation then, you would just pump as much radiation into the, the area of treatment, of need. And you'd hope that, okay, if you lose five years, then we did our job. Yay. And at the time, I, I, my sisters and I, we were, we were 8, 10, and 12, thereabouts, <laughs> 9, 10, and 12. We were around those ages. So we were young. And my dad thought, gosh, if I could just get five more years, that would be awesome. Like, wow. I could see my oldest, my, my older sister. I could see her get into college. I could see Kathleen, me, almost get through high school. And I could see my, his youngest, my sister, my younger sister. I could see quite a bit of her childhood. And so for him at the time, pumping his body through chemo and radiation, this was a year-long process. It was worth it because it would buy him five years. He thought that that was the goal, but a small percentage, remember, to get there. Well, he had a thing called radiation enteritis that came from this radiation. And for a lot of people, uh, it's a thing that it causes what we would know as bowel obstructions, but it's, it's, it causes a lot of pain and it's on and off. Uh, and it's something that he's he's dealt with. Now, now the average person that gets this, which is, is again, it's a percentage game. The average person that gets this, it maybe lasts a few years, but for my dad, it's lasted 30 years. Now, sometimes he goes a little bit longer. It's like every few months. Sometimes he goes a little bit longer. Sometimes it's shorter. There was a period of time, not that long ago, where he was in the hospital six times in six months. Can you imagine that? That's for a week every month. And then when you get out, you, you got to build back up your stamina. So just about the time when you're starting to feel good again, you get hit again. And this is just this constant perpetual thing for six months. When my youngest son was born, Andrew, who also had a lot of complications when he was born, it's in the book. Get the book if you want to know the details. Uh, my dad was in the hospital with this, with the bowel obstruction at the time. And so I tell you all this because that's the outlook that I've learned. I chose entrepreneur and risk tolerance because I saw my dad choose to live. He chose A. He chose in every moment of his life to live fully and be exactly who he is. He chose to show up. He didn't know when that's going to happen. He doesn't know when that's going to happen, but he still plans vacations. He still lives his life. He still makes commitments, but he's very honest about his life. And he says, I don't know, I might have to come back. I might. So he doesn't push things off. When he gets out of the hospital, he is right there with my boys. He isn't saying, I got to sit around. And yes, he gives them space to heal, but he is right there with him because that's what matters to him. 
And so he gets up, he, even though he, he wants to sleep or, or rest, he gets up and he says, I'll pick them up from school. I'll do Papa's school. If you guys have heard me on the show, I talk about my dad a lot. He was on the show in June. He's a brilliant neuroscientist. And I share this with you. The whole purpose of this is that we choose how we want to live. And I think that's what happened in the great resignation. This is what's happening right now. We are saying we're going to choose A. Maybe we've been choosing B. Probably haven't chosen C if we're still playing this game because it's all a game, right? We've been playing B. And I'm not, I'm no longer going to accept B and I'm going to choose A. And A doesn't look like it did before. I'm going to choose to live every single day, which means I don't want to go into the office. And maybe it does. There's nothing wrong with choosing to go into the office. But if that's not what you want, I believe that people are choosing to follow what it is that they really want. And that may mean, hey, industrial segment, people are coming to you. They want to work with their hands. They want to be in touch with what it is that's really important to them. There are more people starting businesses now than ever. Now, will those businesses succeed based on statistics? 10% will. And who knows? That's the past. They absolutely could. But people are choosing to follow what it is that they want and that they desire. Now, as executives, what can we do to support them and yet still function our businesses? That's the question. So that's the real question. Remember how we started out the great resignation, why should I care? Well, if we're asking ourselves the question, how do I get these employees to stay or how do I get more employees? We get to dig deeper and say, what is it that my employees really want and how do I support them in getting that and yet still running my business? That's the question we get to ask. It's a reframe of the question and really understanding what's the problem reframe the problem. All right, guys, we're going to go on a quick break. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. When we get back, there's more. There's always more. There's always more. We're going to dig deeper into this subject. So enjoy this quick break. I'll talk to you in a minute. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show. Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Recent Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. We have been talking all about the great resignation. Why should I care? And right before we went on a break, what we were talking about was, great, I hear that I'm that people want to leave, but how do I as an executive still run my business knowing that people want to want to leave? And 
the reason why I'm a great executive advisor and I can say that is because I've done a lot of things not so well and I've done a lot of things well. So I've had a lot of things that worked and a lot of things, a lot even more that didn't work. And I'll tell you that I didn't always uh, have the relationships with the people around me that I do now. And I'm sure there's some that I can, I know there's some that I can improve, but I, how I coach our, our employees now is very different than how I used to. I, I didn't even used to coach them well. So think about your management team. Like, are you coaching? Are you pouring into them? Are you leading them? Or are you leaving them to their own devices? And I wasn't arming them with the questions to ask to support how they could coach other people. And so that's been a big shift for me. Uh, and so even in how I led them. And one time I had an employee that came up to me and he says, I got another offer. I'm going to leave. And this surprised me. So I didn't realize that he wanted, that that was something that he was thinking about and that he wanted to go. And so it was a big eye opener for me and how I wasn't connected to what was really going on. And we dug into it because the problem isn't usually the problem that we see. And I asked him about what it was that he wanted. Now I'm usually of the, of the mentality that if somebody comes up with another offer typically getting them to stay. You can't counter that with more money. It's, that's not going to work. But I took a different approach and I said, what is it that you really want? What's, what is appealing to you about this job? And what he was saying was it was really about uh, owning. He wanted the, the ownership. And I don't mean ownership from a, I want to own the company. He means like, like he wanted to be, wanted to increase his responsibilities and really uh, grow grow in his role. And I realized that what we had been offering him wasn't growing him in the way that he wanted. He wanted to be challenged in a different way. And yet I watched in this case, uh, my husband, who was, who was really overseeing this business, really challenged with a lot of the details. And, and he was busy, overworked, and not delegating some of these tasks and these things to this employee who wanted to, to grow and to do these things. And so while one person is struggling because he's handling it all on his own and the other one wants more work in a challenging way, it's like, why did these two not connect? And we almost lost a really valuable employee because of it. And so I said, like, do you really wanna leave? Is that what you want? Like, let's just walk down the path that if you left, what would it be like? And so he painted the picture. And then he told me what it was that he wanted in his life. And he could see that those two didn't align, that if he chose this position, it really wasn't going to get him to where he wants. And the hardest place for me was to be unattached. I got to have this conversation, not from a perspective of, oh, my gosh, I really don't want him to leave because it's going to be really hard on me, which it would have been. So I really was hoping he didn't leave. But I got to be unattached and say, right now, in this moment, I'm going to focus just on him and what's best for him. And as an executive advisor, that's how I get to show up for my clients is, I get to say, this is not about me. This is about the person in front of me or even the person in front of them. And how do we support them in creating whatever it is they want, whatever is in their vision and be unbiased. It's very hard to find people that are unbiased in life. And so that's the role that I get to play. And it's the role that you can play for people too, which means no judgment. It means that, yes, might I, might I be in some pain because of your decision? Yes. And set that aside for right now. I'm going to focus wholly on you. 
So that's, that's who you get to be. It's who I get to be for you. And it's who you get to be for somebody else, which means that when somebody's in front of us and they're saying, I, I think I want to leave, we as executives, we get to say, okay, tell me more about that. What is it that you, th- that you think will be created? Because a lot of times when people leave, it's the grass is always greener mentality, which means like something over there is going to solve a pain that I'm having. But the reality is that thing over there is, is probably not really going to solve that pain. So if it's a few more dollars, great. A few more dollars, awesome. Could I throw a few more dollars at you and would you stay? Well, no. Well, then it's not about the money. It's really not usually about the money. And so then what is it? Is it that they want a change of scenery? Okay, so that they want a, a different set of tools? Great. Well, is there somewhere else in this in this current company that they could get that same experience? Is it about the manager that they have now and they really just do not work well with that manager? Well, one, have they been coached to be able to work that well? Or is there someplace I can put them with a new manager? Well, then would they stay? So you can see it when we when we really just look at the person in front of us and we have this conversation about what's really going on, like really get to the root of the problem and then say, if, if, if they're a value employee, if you don't want this employee to stay, great, support them in finding something else. Absolutely. And if they're a valuable employee, these are the conversations we get to have. My my recommendation for you, my invitation to you is to have this before they come to you with another offer, knowing that if you just look at the general statistic, that anywhere between 40 and 50% of the workforce is considering leaving. Just consider, you don't know which 40 or 50% of your workforce it is, consider it's 100% of that. And so this is the conversation that you get to have with every one of your employees. And And when I say you, I don't mean you, I mean, you get to have it with every one of your employees, but you can have it through other people, which means you could train your team in how to have this conversation. You could train them in saying, here's how I have this conversation with you. You got to have the conversation with them. So your leadership team, show them how it's done. Be unbiased, be non-judgmental, be curious and make sure that they're where they want to be and then invite them to have the conversation with each one of their employees. And even knowing I was talking with Kim, my producer before the show, we were talking about a lot of the times there's attrition in companies anyway. And so, so people are going to leave anyway. And then the COVID happened and people didn't necessarily leave jobs. And so now there's this shift that's happening. So let's just make the assumption that half of our workforce probably wants to leave. Which half? We got to figure that out. And we, we got to be okay that this is a conversation that just naturally happens. And so let's be curious. If you want to create longevity with employees, you want them to be there for a long time, you get to understand what their growth pattern looks like, what's important to them, what they want, really what they want, like better than they do. And I mean, I don't mean you, as your company grows, when you have 5, 10, 15, even 20 people, you can do that. You, you yourself. But once you grow bigger than that, you can't. You've got to empower the team around you to be able to have these conversations. And that's what often is the missing link. Way, way back in my career when I was employee, in a really long time, I had an employer who every morning at 8 a.m. would walk around. And if you say, hey, why, why do you do that every morning? He'd walk around with the office, go to everybody's cubicle. And if you asked him and said, why do you walk around every morning? He'd say, oh, I love seeing everybody every morning. I love greeting them and smiling and seeing the smiles on their faces and saying hello and being seen. And then I noticed 
Then at 5 p.m., he also did that, walked around. I said, why, why do you do that at 5 p.m.? And he says, well, I really like the same exact reason. Well, if you peel back, what was he really doing? He was seeing who was there at 8 o'clock and who was there at 5 o'clock. He was knowing, he was labeling the hard workers as the people that were there before 8 and after 5. So if I showed up at 8.05 and I left at 4.55, am I not a great employee? Might I have childcare situations that are tight on either end, and yet I give the most, but if you're going to reward me based on the hours that I'm putting in, I may not be seen as the highest employee. And so how, if that's how he's judging his employees, if that's how he's saying who a quality employee is, he's missing out. Because there were managers at each level that really, in essence, understood their employees. And if he would empower the managers to be asking those questions, like, who do you think are the most qualified employees? And not ranking based on who showed up, who put the most hours in, because hours put in does not necessarily mean most productive or best employee. Actually, there's no correlation between that. So start to think about how we see the problem isn't always how we see the problem, how we see the thank you, Lisa, for those words, how we see the problem is, is not often the problem. We get to really define how we look at the problem. So when we look at this great resignation, my invitation to you is to have deep conversations with your employees. Now, not just you empower your team around you to have these deep conversations, teach them how to have unbiased conversations and and really understand where people want to go, what their path looks like, what they want, how, how we as a company could support them. Now, some of the things that are going to come out of their mouths are not things that are aligned with how you can move forward as a company. And then we get to understand and we get to teach our, our, our leadership team to say, is that a deal breaker for you? So if somebody says, I really want to be home 100% of the time, and yet we know as a company in our culture, the most that we're going to do is hybrid. Or we are 100% in office, which means that when somebody wants 100% virtual, and that's not who our company is, are we willing to say, I hear you? And is that a deal breaker for you? Are we willing to put that employee in a position to say, look, if that's really what's important to you, I hear you. And as much as I want you to stay here, this is not going to be what you want. Are you willing to have that conversation? Are you willing to risk what you have for what you want? Because if you're willing to go through this process, what you'll get in the end are employees that are fiercely loyal because what you're creating in a company and the culture is aligned with who these employees are and what they want. And then if you're not, if you have employees that aren't aligned to them, support them in finding a place that is. This is my biggest realization as an employer is that there is never a bad employee. There's no such thing as a bad employee. There's just not great fits. Now I've seen a lot. I mean, I've got story after story after story in just my businesses, plus the businesses that I advise. I've got plenty of stories about really bad situations that have happened. And what it comes down to is really bad fits. Really bad fits. And I don't mean like fits like tantrums. I mean I mean, if an employee is not a great fit for the company culture or the company team or the manager that's leading them, the behavior that will show up is not who they are. It's just how they're showing up. And when we see that kind of behavior, it can either be corrected or they get to be successful somewhere else. I had an employee who consistently showed up underperforming, uh, 
I have lots of stories I could share with you. And I won't, I, this is not the point of it, but he was consistently showing up in a way that just wasn't matched with our company. And yet now he's at another company, he's thriving. He's doing so well and he's happy. It's not that he, nothing really about him in a, in a chemical way in his body, nothing changed. What changed was that he was an environment that fit him. And so are we willing to hold our employees to what it is that they really want to support them in understanding that and holding them there? And, and are we clearly defining what our company is? I just got asked to go do some work on strategic planning and, and support with, the, with one of our clients, an executive client who said, we really get to understand the vision, the mission, like what we're really up to. Because if we say, and this is what I hear companies say all the time, we're the company that has the best customer service. If I have like a, a, a puke mic right here, I would sound that for you. Because guess what? McDonald's says they have the greatest customer service. Chick-fil-A says they have the greatest customer service. Like, great, go work there. They love it. They're paying $15 an hour. Go there. Your company is not, does not exist because you have the best customer service. It's just not it. So we get to dig deeper as to what it is. Why are you really here? And when you understand that, are you communicating it in a way that your employees can understand it? And then are we asking them what it is that they really want? And does that align? That second piece we often miss. Are we asking them what it is they really want? And does that align? All those pieces have to happen in order to move through this great resignation. Remember, some people don't want to work. It's that they don't want to work for you. And the question is, do you want to work for you? If you, are you somebody that your company would hire? It's a great question. Great question to think about. I'm actually going to leave you with this question, that question. We're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to bring all of this that we've talked about all together. So enjoy this quick break. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I'm Kathleen Reeson, and we have been talking all about the great resignation, why should I care? And over the last 45 minutes, we've, talking about, we've talked about why it's so important for you to take notice of the great resignation. But depending on what kind of business that you are running, if you are in the industrial sector, you've been feeling this pain for a long time, probably looking at these knowledge workers, this, this knowledge industry, this professional services industry, and saying, welcome to the party. We've been having this employer shortage for a long time. And so some things we figured out that work in the industrial sector. One, not talking about yourself. I'm really focusing on the employee. Okay, So yes, do employees, I have a friend who runs a concrete company. Do they run 80-hour weeks? Absolutely. During the summer when the weather is beautiful, they run 80-hour weeks because they have such a limited time to get their employees on uh, work. But these employees also have a few months off of the year. One of the conversations that we got into the other day was that they actually take their season, their seasonal employees. So they run them eight months or nine months out of the year, and then they're unemployed for three months during the colder time. And the question was, how do I get these, 
these employees to care about personal professional development because I know if I can develop them as people, they'll be solid and stronger employees for me. And I said, okay, let's look at this. And we redefined the problem and said, well, they're working a lot for you. Like they're working the equivalent of full time, but just during these eight or nine months a year when the weather is cooperating, but they aren't working these other months of the year. So what would happen if instead of paying the way that you're paying, you restructure it and you bring them on as full time year round. And during those three months, three to four months when they're not working, you're one, giving them time to rest because they put in this exorbitant amount of time during the season. You're giving them this time to rest and you are committing to their development personally, professionally, but you're committing to their development, but it's not really going to cost you that much more. But we, we actually calculated it. And this is a company that's a uh, five to $6 million company. So, so in the world of, of concrete, it's a big company in the world of, of business. It's a little bit smaller company. So it's a, it's a small to medium sized business. There's in the, the, it doesn't really matter. Okay. We're getting into semantics. So it's a five to $6 million company. I said for $200,000, an additional $200,000, you could pay all their unemployment claims. So that's if we wanted to comp them exactly what they were making now. So we didn't just say, hey, I pay you this much over eight months and allocate that over the year. We actually were going to pay the amount that when they went on to unemployment, that, that they received under unemployment, the entire check for all of their employees would be $200,000. I said for $200,000, you could address this challenge with your employees. And plus, remember, when you put somebody on unemployment, you risk them not coming back because they're not your employee for three, four months. So you risk them not coming back. And he, and he says, I don't know. That's a lot of money. And I said, are you buying any new trucks this year? He says, yeah, we're, we're thinking about that. And these are big trucks and they got some different equipment. I said, how much is a truck? He says, $300,000. Okay, well, look at that. You're willing to pay $300,000 for a new truck, but are you willing to pay $200,000 for the drivers that sit in them to be the best possible employees that they can or the ones that operate them? So where are we placing our value? Are we placing our value in the machinery or are we placing our value in the people? And if we place our value in the machinery, then why would we expect our people to want to rush back to us after we've put them on unemployment for a few months? Machinery is going to be there. They're going to come back because the machinery can't go anywhere. You know why? They don't have the people to drive it. So the machinery will always be there. So if I have not hammered anything into you today, the thing that I want to hammer into you that I want to really land with you is that the problem isn't often how we see it. The problem is actually deeper. It's something that we get to really dig into and understand what's actually going on. And that's something that's a conversation we get to have with our employees right now, the great resignation. We get to understand what it is that's happening. When we understand what it is that they really want and then figure out, can we support it in our company? Maybe, maybe not. And if it's a maybe not, then are we willing to hold them into that space of saying, yeah, that's not, that's not who our company is. And I love that that's for you, but that means that there's not a space for you anymore. And so let's figure out what it looks like for you to be successful somewhere else. And I'm willing to stand with you through this process. That is not a conversation that most managers or leaders are having. Actually, it's not a conversation any manager is having because that is a leadership level conversation. So if you're a manager, you're not having that conversation because you're not trained to have it. And so you as an executive, 
get to understand this conversation for yourself. If this is not a conversation that you're comfortable having, call me. I'm an executive advisor. This is what I do. Actually, when people don't know who to call, they pick up the phone and call me. It's a beautiful process. Beautiful process. So that's what's really important. If you don't know how to do this process, there's no judgment in that. There's no blame. You call me. You call somebody like me that understands this, and you learn it. Then you teach it to your leaders so that they can then have it with your employees so that everyone gets to have this conversation in your organization. And then you really get to understand what are the stakes here. So it's not that 50% might leave. It's that whatever that percentage is are going to leave. And at the end of that, we're going to have the people that really want to be there. I would rather have half of the team that we have because they really wanted to be there than a full team a bunch of people that don't want to be there because the people that don't want to be there will absolutely infect. It's like a virus. So infect the people that do want to be there. And all of a sudden we'll have a bunch of people that aren't sure if they really want to be there. Is that the kind of company that you want to run? It's not the company company I want to run. And so I'm guessing that, that that's something that you get to look into as well. I'm not even guessing. I know it's something that you get to look into as well. So this concept of the great resignation, it's something that we all, it's not something to be scared of, it's something to dig into and understand. And hey, if you're in the knowledge worker segment and you're, you're sweating this out, go call up your friends that run in the industrial segment because guess what? They've been doing this all along. They've been dealing with this for such a long time. Now, next week, what we're gonna talk about on the show is what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? And so that, that whole show, this whole show next week is designed to understand how do we actually walk through complex decision-making? Because it's a, it's a really challenging thing. And I've had to sit through in my mind and really understand how do I coach people through that? How do I support them when they're in these complex decision-making? And I'm going to pull back the curtains and show you how I walk people through that process. So if you're interested, tune in next week. I'm so excited that you're here to listen to this. Remember, it's not that people don't want to work. It's that they don't want to work for you in the past. That's all changed now because you know how to talk with them. You know now how to be with people in a way that they can relate. You know how to talk to them to understand what it is that they want. The great resignation is not something to be afraid of. It's something to understand. It's something to see as an opportunity to create a loyal workforce, not to you. It's not loyalty to you. It's loyalty to your mission, loyalty to your mission. And if that's something that you're interested in, go for it. I'm your biggest cheerleader. Call me when you have questions, you run into it. Email me, Kathleen at KathleenReason.com. I am here to support you. When you don't know who else to call, you pick up the phone and you call me. I am accessible. And I'm actually waiting for your call because I want to hear what you're up to and what you what you're created in this world. Thank you so much for listening to the show, the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.